Okay, well, welcome everybody to the um, May conference call for the Silicon Valley Speechwriters Roundtable. And um, we will probably have a few more people join us on, on the phone call. And always people can uh, check out the recording I'll post to my blog and link to from the website from the meetup. And today we're pleased to welcome Barbara Seymour Giordano for a conference on conversation on storytelling. And Barbara is a speechwriter and presentation coach who specializes in helping speakers tell memorable stories that audiences yearn to hear and share. Her specialty is guiding speakers from the page to the stage through the often murky and intricate process of bringing a story idea to life. In terms of background, uh, Barbara has advised Fortune 500 executives, entrepreneurs, scientists, TED presenters, and more on creating and sharing stories that unite, influence, and inspire audiences worldwide. Her fascination with story began when she worked as an assignment editor with CNN and the Entertainment Television Network, and she then parlayed her news experience into producing and directing corporate videos, global sales meetings, and events for Amgen, Cisco, and Nike, amongst others. In front of the lens, she's also appeared as an on-camera national TV fashion and beauty spokesperson for Land's End, Neiman Marcus, and TJX Corp. Her 360-degree communication experience allows her to offer a unique approach to crafting stories that make speeches come alive. And she's a two-time Cicero Speechwriting Award winner. So Barbara, um, welcome to the Silicon Valley Speechwriters Roundtable. Thanks for having me, Ian. Yeah, well, it, it's great that you volunteered to, to be part of this. And I'd encourage anybody on the line, if you personally want to be a guest in the future, you know, this is like uh, easy peasy because there's no travel or hotel expenses. We are all sitting in our in our homes or offices. And, and, and interested, Barbara, that you've had uh, a background that led you to focus on storytelling. And I think it's probably a truism that, you know, in terms of your own story, there's lessons for people to, to learn. And so I'd like to review some of that before we get into the actual craft of storytelling as part of speech writing. And, and you've had many roles that brought you to the role, world of speech writing. You were a model, a journalist, an on-camera spokesperson, and a pitch coach for startup companies. Can you tell us something about your background and this trajectory that led you to how did you get to the world of speech writing? Oh my gosh. I think, you know, it all started from the fact that I probably denied the fact that I wanted to be a writer my whole life. <clears throat> and so I decided to go start from the outside in to figure out what it is that I felt. I began with modeling, and then I had a career in journalism after college, uh, as you were saying. And it took me on this path to get back to really reconnecting with story and by reconnecting with story, reconnecting with myself. So I was working on with executives in particular, the way that I got to speech writing. Um, I was working with executives producing these large-scale live events. You know, they were spending hundreds of thousands and sometimes millions of dollars on one event, right? And they would, so they would put it tons into staging and lighting and fanfare and models and dancers. I mean, you name it, they had it all. And then... The VP from accounting would get up and say, hi, my name is Bob. Nobody had spent any money or time or anything helping Bob get better, right? And so as the producer of the show, I could actually step onto the stage 
and I just felt compelled to help them because they were up against this whole professional crew, the whole lot of us, and um, then they had to take the stage. So my heart went out, and I began um, just by just started jumping in and, and coaching and helping them kind of rework their story so it was a little bit more compelling, not doing any writing at this point. Um, then the bottom fell out of the market, as it did for so many. Uh, I jumped off ship, actually, and just took a little time off and said, you know, I always wanted to be a writer. I think I'm going to start doing this um, pitch coaching because I, at this point, had moved to Orange County, and there's a huge um, sort of tech startup community here. So I went to a quick pitch event, and it was uh, they had to tell their story in 60 seconds or less. And I went and volunteered my time. I said, you know what? I think I can help these speakers be better. So I did. I quickly went to the Internet and said, oh, my gosh, I have to figure this out. And I started to devise a plan to help them. At this point, I begged for 30 extra seconds and started helping this organization um, and their pitch competition have 90-second pitches. And um, so that's where my storytelling career actually began. And what lessons did you take that 90-second pitch coaching? I, I've seen you're talking about like where startups and entrepreneurs go in front of investors like venture capitalists and, and have 90 seconds to – it's like a beauty parade, right? They each have 90 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what lessons did you take from that and the 18-minute TED Talks you've coached on? And how, is there a difference or similarities between – the, the coaching you did for that, and now longer speeches. Yeah, well, there's, there are a lot of similarities. Um, there's, a, there, there's fundamentally different in the, the, the approach. I mean, I both had a, you know, I both looked for a way to sort of navigate my way without being outlining, right? And so finding this 90-second pitch, it, it started off with problem-solution, and then it talked about all the basic touch points that investors want to hear. And you could, you, it's amazing how much um, is possible to fit into 90 seconds. So mm-hmm. from there, um, getting to do uh, TED Talks, I started with TEDx Orange Coast. Um, I went and volunteered. I was like, I could write speeches. And they're like, you can? And I said, sure, why not? <laughs> and they believed me. And um, I wrote my first speeches. Uh, TED Talks, and I wish, Ian, that they were 18 minutes long. The average TED Talk is about 12 minutes long. And my first TED Talk that, well, the first eight that I wrote, because I wrote eight in one sitting, I mean, not at one time, but over the course of three weeks, um, were eight minutes long, eight to ten minutes. So that was really tight. But there I followed a different structure, um, basically the hero's journey, and I mapped it out that way and because I was like, oh, my gosh, now I've committed to giving a, writing these speeches. Now what do I do? <laughs> and I was like, I Googled story arc. What is that? <laughs> and then I followed a loose outline and prayed a lot. <laughs> Built a shrine to great right. writers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's interesting you mentioned, you know, the hero's journey. We had a call, and I must be going back two or three years now, on the, it's in our archives on the Silicon Valley Speechwriters with Michael Haig, who's uh, a Hollywood scriptwriter who's well-known in that world, who coaches scriptwriters, and he's got DVDs on the hero's two journeys and so on. 
So that that was the kind of reference material you were you were looking at, I guess. Yeah, I just actually looked at a diagram online um, that ah, says okay. the hero's journey, and it shows the that's all I needed was sort of a loose map. But Michael Haig actually he critiqued one of my speeches, the first one for ah. um, uh, the first Cicero that I won. <clears throat> so that was great. The, oh, uh, he was one of the judges. He was a judge for the no, Cicero. No, no, uh, on your show, uh, on a video that. He you did, he actually critiqued that speech. Oh, said, oh, oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. apologize. I didn't remember yeah, that's that. Okay. Oh, you had yeah. a lot of them. Lot well, of them. no, that not, that's great. Just going back a minute, though, I'm curious, because I was in a, a large tech company and went to mm-hmm. the sales meetings, and I wasn't the producer, but you know, when I was speechwriting there, my, my senior exec would be one of the ones giving a presentation. And I remember... Well, uh, the history of that company was that they used to be coaches. And you said, you know, these big events, they spend millions. I mean, they're in somewhere like the San Francisco Moscone Center with, right. uh, you know, the screens down the, the auditorium so people can see close-ups from the video of the speaker. Um, but I was always curious about, and, and what was your experience here, where if the coach isn't there until the day of the rehearsal, like 24 hours before the main event, did you did you feel that you could have a real impact there, or or did you get involved with the coaching process earlier in the state in the in the uh, preparations? Yeah, because I was on site and they didn't have speaker coaches. <clears throat> I got to just jump in, right? And so I learned yeah. the learning was in the doing, and uh, I had had worked enough on sort of television and film enough to kind of know about blocking and staging and some emotional touch points about shaking hands or hugging if possible, right? Mm. God forbid. Um, But so I could see the visual, and then I had lived around story working in news, so I had that feeling too. So I could sort of jump in, and because I was on site, I could start working with them, you know, three days earlier, four days earlier, and then I could have – you know, and with with executives, you don't always really get that much time. You're lucky if you get 45 minutes, you know. And so, uh, but but the more that I did it, the more people would say, hey, could Barbara come and work with us? <laughs> because it, it, I started to have some success just going to, to do that um, to help the speakers get comfortable on stage and really kind of own it. And, and that was great. Right. Right. So, you know, we've talked about, obviously, this is a speech writer's roundtable, but we all know that speech coaching is, you know, you can write the best speech possible, but if it's delivered in a monotone or, or, or inelegantly, it, it, you know, it's not going to grab the audience. So you, your speech, you, we all know, I think, what speech coaching involves. And you combine the two. Now, personally, because I was often an in-house employee, I've always stayed away from the coaching side, and the reason is, I couldn't really deal with, you know, the, the necessary kind of psychological mind shift executive would need to make if I was like six levels below them in the org chart. So what advantages did you see in offering both services? And is there anything speech writers, maybe as uh, freelancers, who don't currently coach can do to start down that path? Yeah. So, you know, I came at it backwards, right, as you pointed out, I was the speaker coach by default first. And then I went into speech writing because I just, to your point, I could feel how much was missing, right? right. And, um, and how much of a me- message was gone. <clears throat> so 
you know, I really feel like if you've already got the speech writing part down and you have that opportunity, you may not have it at your office, but you could slowly work into it. <clears throat> it's harder in a corporate setting. And, and, and I, you and I talked a little bit about it, Ian, that to your point, the, the, the pay grade difference um, sometimes could be looked upon unfavorably. But if you ever get a chance and you work with more than one speaker, you know, don't be afraid to step in and and begin to coach because and just do it slowly, a little bit here, a little bit there. Uh, because I've noticed that more and more um, the the job postings that are out there basically are are starting to ask for um, speaker coaches along with speech writers. I think that's going to be sort of something that we see in the future. So I would just start getting out there and writing the speech and then getting, you know, hey, I just want to let you know, because you're there to make them look good, right? That's the ultimate thing. And that's what I tell them when they're misbehaving. <laughs> Don't forget, I'm here to make you look good. Um, but if you're just new to this, I would just slowly start, you know, with stage blocking and with those things. Because I know as speechwriters, you're thinking about that. Because I know that I do. You're thinking about how's this going to be? Can they step away from the lectern? Can they be out in the light and, and start thinking about those things and maybe encouraging them to do it quietly, as we do as speechwriters, because we tend to be somewhat introverted. Yeah, yeah. Now, in your personal bio that we sort of touched on at the beginning, you've spent time in front of the camera, you know, in modeling and TV and fashion uh, as a spokesperson, and you've actually delivered a TED Talk yourself. I remember clearly being at a Reagan conference a dozen years ago or so, and they did a straw poll show of hands on how many speechwriters, maybe 60 of them were in the room, had actually delivered a speech and felt comfortable on the podium, and about three people raised their hands. So obviously a speechwriter doesn't need to and and can't be expected to be the uh, most comfortable presenter, but what advantages do you see does it offer to wear both hats? Uh, to to speak and also... Yeah, as a, you're somebody, and, you know, I did it too because I was a member of the National Speakers Association. I participated in a lot of Toastmasters, but I was aware, and, and I, you know, I can share my own opinions when you said something, but uh, what, yeah. what, what do you see you bring as an advantage to the speechwriting role because you've also been in front of the camera or on the stage yourself? Yeah. Well, I, you know, in terms of, uh, so I had done Toastmasters for on and off for like eight years. <clears throat> and that can only take you so far. I mean, I was really grateful for it. You can practice and, and you know, it's like staying in shape. Um, but then as I um, left that and I started doing this full time in 2011, then um, I started, like I said, I jumped in and worked with eight speakers and I put them through a process I had never tested out, right? From writing the speech to creating the slides and then to presenting. And everybody had to memorize. Nobody got to have anything. No no cards, nothing, because that's how Ted wants it, right? So I realized two years in, holy cow, I have put like 16 speakers through the ringer. (laughs) There's something I never tested. I better go out and test this. Um, and being in front of an audience, being on TV is super easy because you're just interacting with the host. So it's like right now we're sitting here having a chat. But when you're in 
front of an audience, and it's, as I say to my speakers, just you and your butt in the wind. <laughs> it's very different and very scary. So, and I was sending speakers out on huge stages, you know, beautiful uh, theaters. And so I said, well, I've got to test out my own product. I've got to know what it feels like to be one of my speakers. And I will tell you how miserable I was for a month working on this speech, trying to get it right, trying to to follow the steps and the pressure that I felt, not only is giving a TED Talk, because at this point TED was starting to become like a a well-known, coveted brand, but then also uh, just going through the paces of my own stuff and writing my own speech without any sort of feedback. And as my husband would say, he's from Argentina, you cannot be both the speaker and the coach. (laughs) And I was like, oh, you're right. Or the player and the coach, I think he said, referring to soccer. So, uh, you know, that's the thing is that um, once I did it, I realized how painful it was. Um, And so that, you know, how to lighten up and then grow with it, you experience it in your skin, what works and doesn't work. And I think that was probably the best part of it for me was now I speak more often and I'm more comfortable and, it, and it's helped me. But um, in terms of what I inflict on my speakers, I know now firsthand in my own skin. <laughs> so, so, I mean, is the guidance you're offering speechwriters in general, you think it's a good idea that they kind of at least join a Toastmasters group and do the... 10 talks, you know, in the introductory manual, the icebreaker and the, and the struct. I mean, some of those would be a piece of cake because there's one of those uh, sort of, like you say, it's like going to the gym. One of those routines is how to structure your material, which a speechwriter could do with their eyes closed. But do you think that's a good thing for a speechwriter to embrace? You know, I think the best part about it is, uh, for me, it was just the listening. And the more that you can go and listen to stories, the more you can and give feedback because I think those two hand in hand are really really important um, and get feedback. Uh, the, I think the feedback is probably the place I learn the most from. Now, if you've already done Toastmasters or it doesn't really interest you, I think there are other ways to do it. And I think one of those ways is going to speak yourself for free. Go share your knowledge. You have a lot of it, you know. And people are always organizations are always looking for somebody um, knowledgeable to share their information, and they're not expecting you to be perfect um, because you're volunteering and, it, and you're learning, but you already have the knowledge of craft um, and story that you could really share with organizations who need it. And then you grow by doing. Yeah, actually, that touches on something that um, one of the, my uh, long-term colleagues in the freelance world, Colin Morehouse, people might know him in Oh, I in know Vancouver. Colin, yeah. Yeah, he's in Vancouver, Canada, and uh, he's been on panels at the Reagan Conference and elsewhere because uh, he's made his living for a lifetime as a as a freelancer. And one of his tricks of the trade, which I think dovetails with what you just mentioned, is um, you know if if you're in a dry spell and need more clients, he said if you're in a in a location where there might be um, you know any any grouping of people, whether it's the, uh, you know, the Elks Club or the, or the Yacht Club locally or the Plumbers Union or whatever, he said, get invited to one of their kind of, 
you know, rubber chicken dinners or their casual, you know, their <laughs> annual meetings. And he said, uh, introduce yourself as a speechwriter, and he guarantees you'll be the only speechwriter in the room. And that's how he's found work in the past. Well, I think you've taken it one step further. Is I think many groups might be fascinated to you know, hear from a real-life speechwriter. I think people still, like, do a little bit of a double-take. It's not like you're, a, you know, a physician or a, somebody who's kind of that common. And maybe if you live in Washington, D.C., there might be other speechwriters that people will have met. But the average person in the rest of the United States and around the world, I think that's a great idea that you say volunteer to give a talk. And you don't need to be the world's best speaker. You're the speechwriter who could share some tricks of the trade and, and for those of us who are freelance. And actually that, that's something I wanted to get into because you are a freelancer, right? And you have Correct. I mean as opposed to my role, my career was always with the tech companies like HP and Cisco and Sun Microsystems doing speech writing for executives. But how how do you find your clients? Is do you advertise? Do you have a great website? I mean you do have a nice website, but do they come through there or is it word of mouth or I mean that's kind of a little off the main topic of storytelling, but I think those no, are the No, absolutely. How, how does it, how's it, what's been the avenues you've found clients through? Mostly word of mouth. So between, mm-hmm. you know, the pitch coaching that I do with um, helping entrepreneurs craft their pitches for investors, uh, that was built off of doing the volunteering. I went and volunteered and did those 90-second, wrote all of these 90-second pitches, and I did three different um, pitch competitions. And on the third competition, I met um, somebody who was at Tech Transfer at USC, and my career was launched. And soon I had two other universities knocking at my door as well. So I was so busy doing pitch coaching for the first three years before I started speech writing. And that was just volunteering. I mean, so um, that's, that business grew and uh, out of that volunteering. And yep. then um, the same with TED. I volunteered for all the TED Talks I wrote, almost all of them. I shouldn't say all of them. Um, I retired from the TED Talks a few years ago, but but I volunteered for all those. And now just word of mouth and meeting so many people and, you know, ha- creating so many relationships. Because you do. You, do, you just – you have to – I always tell my speakers, you know, just be prepared. I'm very emotionally demanding. We're going to jump right in. I'm going to ask you some really emotional stuff. And they're like, oh. But that, that's how we create this bond, too. And, and I find that people are so wonderful and that, that years later, somebody will say, oh, I met you five years ago and I, I'm ready now. I'm like, wow, thank you for remembering me. Yeah. And, and what, are you, what are you working on right now and what's your current focus? So my current, I'm getting ready to do a, a speech workshop for, um, actually a pitch workshop for USC's School of Pharmacy. And uh, that's actually going to be really fun. They, they have three-minute pitches that they'll be giving. So that workshop's coming up. And then I am working on my own project, which is, as a writer, I'm constantly trying to push myself and stretch myself. So right now I'm working on a book proposal. And um, then that's, that's what I'm trying to clear the decks for and do speech, some speech writing on the side, which I just finished a speech for a nonprofit. And 
that's pretty much what I've been working on. I always draw a blank when somebody says, oh, what are you working on right now? Yeah. <laughs> well, what, what, what would, uh, I mean, I understand the tech cut world and, and pitch coaching for the people. What would a school of pharmacy, I, I don't quite follow, what would they be pitching and who to? So, so you know, one of the, the challenges with the universities in general is that they get, you know, in their discipline, they're, they're all very knowledgeable, but they become, they speak in a shorthand and they speak in their jargon, right? So essentially what I help speakers do, especially academics, is to speak in layman's terms without, you know, sacrificing the content, but making it, making what it is that they have to pitch compelling. So everyone has something, especially if you're in a department at a university, that you want to get across. You might be working on a project or you might be wanting to promote the, the department itself. How do you do that? You create a pitch for the outside world. And a lot of times now universities, so I worked with UCLA a few years back to digress for a moment, to, but to give an example, um, and they had something called Dissertation Launchpad, and they created it in the School of um, Oh, it was the School of Sociology, I think, um, and they wanted to promote that school. And so the the dean and the associate dean created this. Um, they, they invited 10 PhDs. They were just getting ready to um, defend their PhDs. Um, or it would defend, I forget, they call it something like that. And um, then they they asked me, can you help them? turn their dissertations into 10-minute talks, TED-like talks. And I said, uh, sure, why not? <laughs> so what they're doing now, universities are slowly kind of understanding that they have to, each department has to promote itself, right? And if you can't tell that story shortly and succinctly, um, then it's very difficult to raise funds. And so essentially what they did with these 10 presenters is they hosted an evening for their high net worth donors who had graduated from the school to come in and to um, see them present the most recent work of the department. Okay, so I, I, what I'm hearing then is, and this is quite fascinating, is that you you take these, I mean, I can't imagine anybody more jargon uh, and broiled than a PhD in sociology. I, yeah. I, I have an undergraduate sociology degree, and I know how, you know, convoluted <laughs> it gets. So, so you're saying you, you kind of help them present it in layman's terms, so you take out the jargon and so on, which is what, you know, many speechwriters do with no matter what area they're working in. Is that, is that what sure. you really focused on? Yes, yeah, exactly. And I, made, and I turned their information into story. So they would have mm. maybe stories sprinkled in their dissertation, but it tended to be very dense. Right, and so then we would. I would just sit down, and I don't read their dissertations. I just say, "Little, well, let's, let's talk. Tell me what you're working on. <laughs> Why does it matter?" And then I would create a story around that for them, following the hero's journey. But then also, one of the things I like to do is educate the audience, but not heavy-handedly. Right. So we bring terms in that are new because I know the audiences watching um, are curious, and they want to know more, and they're educated. So we don't want to go so far beyond that the jargon loses them, but we sprinkle enough in and then define that jargon quickly so they feel like, oh, I walked away and I learned a new word or two or some new terms. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so this, is actually, this is a great entree. I mean, people might think we're missing truth in advertising because we did advertise this as a, 
a real focus on storytelling. We've sort of done a grand tour of your background and how you got into yeah. speech writing. But this, this is crucial, what you've just said. You've used that phrase, the hero's journey, and I think most people on the call here would have some idea of that. But if you're a PhD in sociology, did you say to them, okay, you know, Dr. So-and-so, we're going to take your material in the hero's journey? Or did, I mean, how, what was the actual steps you take to build stories from dense material? Do you look for a thread or, I mean, are there some examples you can give of how you work thinking back to individuals you've worked with? Yeah, so usually there's a, the one thing, I start from the end and I ask them, what's the one idea that has been resonating with you right now? Like what is, if you had to leave one message with your audience, what would it be? Just one. Mm-hmm. And that's very hard, right? Like, oh, with, with uh, PhDs, it's a little easier because they usually have a central question that they asked, right? But still, you have to really think about that. And then sometimes it's not there. And so we just begin in a linear way, and I start asking about struggles in terms of, okay, because this is my life. Right? When I look at the hero's journey, and I repeat it over and over and over, over again as we do. It's the human experience, right? Um, but especially in my life, I've had tendencies to climb up way up high on my high horse. And then, of course, what happens? <laughs> I'm really up there high and I fall, right? And so right. sometimes I start the stories like that. And then they start to see if they, you know, because sometimes there's some reluctance too. Sometimes not everybody totally signs up for your process, right? Um, or the way that you tell story. But I try to have the most fun with it. And, um, and create the story that way. So sometimes I have to sneak into the story um, and just start mapping it out and hearing what it is, the project that they've been working on. And I try to get a fine point on that project so or whatever it is, that the, the idea, um, so we can sneak up on it and get to the end. But most of the time, people have a pretty good idea of what it is that they want to say at the end or they know the topic really well, and then the end comes. And sometimes I just, you know, I often end up writing the endings. And do you get pushback, or have you had difficulties with any particular clients who, you know, I'm thinking of executives in the tech industry, and some of them, I I guess you don't, if you walk in there and say, okay, Mr. Romero's executive, we're going to make your speech into a story, they would recoil like, I'm not here to tell stories. You know, I'm, a, I'm, an, I'm in the, the numbers world or I'm an engineer or something. Is that a, a barrier you have to cross or a, an objection you have to deal with? Um, no, I haven't really had that. I, probably in the beginning I did, but the more, you know, used to you get to navigating that world and at this point somebody high up has usually recommended me. Um, mm. So then I kind of come with some credibility. Um, although I have had a few people say to me, oh, I didn't know you were going to work on my speech. Actually, I just worked with the NIH, and I did have one guy say, I didn't know you were going to work on my pitch, on writing my pitch. He was all ready to pitch to me. And I do, all of my work is, um, or the majority of it is over video chat. I didn't know you were going to work on my speech. I was ready to pitch it to you right now. <laughs> which I appreciate it, an engineer, and um, PhD. And uh, so he was a little bit taken aback, but once he saw the way the formula worked and that the story really came to life, then he was all on board. But sometimes yeah. I do get 
some, you know, pushback at people are more reluctant. They're like, I don't know. I don't know if I should trust you in your ways, <laughs> your circuit yeah. ways. Yeah. And then, I, I mean, a last question, and I think it's time we should open it up to the uh, the the assembled people, and I'm pleased to say we now have, apart from you and me, we have uh, eight people, two, four, six people on the line. Uh, Sharon joined, and uh, somebody from Goodyear Tire. <laughs> I'm looking on a website that tells me what the uh, what <laughs> phone number represents. <laughs> anyway, um, but the last question I've got is, you know, here I'm, I'm I'm in my home office, and I just pulled a couple of. Uh, reference books. Well, I've got Michael Haig's uh, DVD on the on the two journeys of the hero. He talks about the outer journey and the deeper storyline, the inner journey. And then I've got another book which I, I haven't read the whole of. I kind of read the the first part of it because uh, it's actually 715 pages. The Seven oh. Basic Plots: Why We Tell Stories by Christopher Booker. And, you know, he goes into all the intricacies of different plot lines. He, he reckons you can boil down all the stories in the world to, you know, rags to riches, the quest, voyage and return, tragedy, rebirth, and so on. And, it, and I'm, part of me wonders, like, I know if you're a Hollywood scriptwriter, you have to know this intricacy inside and out, and you've got, you know, a TV series or a movie to script. But I'm thinking, is it, is it in, your, in your experience kind of simpler than that. I mean, if you deal with a hero's journey and there's a struggle and they overcome it, and they, is that sufficient? Or, or do you find yourself reaching for this kind of reference material to put nuances in place? It's more of a feeling for me. Like, does it feel like I'm – I like my speeches to start off like a roller coaster where you're like, you know how you're going and starting up, and then all of a sudden you hit your first down point. And um, – and so I like all of those twists and turns. And I've never read any books um, until recently, until last summer. I had never written, read a book on the hero's journey. I just followed the diagram of all the points, right? Um, right. So it, it's really more of a feeling. And those, if I feel like, because I don't see, I don't actually map them out in the speech, but I, I look at the diagram and I go, does it feel like I've hit these major points? Is the low point in the middle? Because it does follow that, right? And not every speech is the same either. I mean, I don't, not for every single speech do I follow the hero's journey, but it has elements in it, right? There is a, a departure and a return and usually, you know, doesn't always have denial in it. But um, the book that I read last summer was called Save the Cat. And I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's by Blake Snyder, and it's also about different movie plots, but he also maps out um, you know, important parts of the story and, and what different types of stories there are. So I'm, and actually I met an author who said, oh, read Save the Cat. He had written a, a mystery. And I was like, okay. Oh. <laughs> and I couldn't put it down. It was awesome. It was short. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, better than 700 pages. That sounds like great. Well, at this point, you know, um, uh, Barbara and I have had a great conversation for the last 45 minutes. Um, I'd like to invite those of you on the phone. There's not that many, so we don't need to, you know, hold back. And if you have any kind of a comment, question, opinion about what we've talked about, just press star six to unmute yourself and, uh, and, and see what, you know, you can offer to the conversation here. So please, anybody on the line who can, who can add? Yeah, this, this is Jerry. So when I've written speeches for people, I think purely qualitatively in terms of impact, 
But when it is, especially for my little baby startups that are doing social good, you obviously want the investor to jump and write a check. What are your thoughts about the receipt and the measuring of success along the lines of dollars and cents? So so say that again in terms of? In terms of creating a check for, you know, to attract investors, uh, have you uh, given thought to what works from the investor perspective and what gets them to oh. the project? Oh, Jerry, you and I should talk afterwards. <laughs> but, yeah, I have. As I like to say to my speakers, hey, let's get them to write the check and write it for more. That's the goal. <laughs> so, yes, there is. There's a, there are basically two ways to start a pitch that are compelling, going in with the problem solution or starting mm-hmm. with the opportunity. So, but rarely is a pitch an opportunity. Most 99% of the time, it's a problem solution um, type of narrative that you just start off with. You just jump off the cliff and you start storytelling. I find that to be the most compelling. And um, that in and of itself hooks your audience. Before you say, hello, my name is Barbara, because oftentimes entrepreneurs, they just do what everybody else does because, you know, it's kind of the monkey see, monkey do formula. But, um, But you just jump in and you have them start saying what the problem is and you set the stage, you set the scene for your audience. And then you solve that problem. It's a miracle. I just gave you the world's worst problem, and what a coincidence. We can solve it. <laughs> and that's pretty much how I operate, you know, to varying degrees um, for most of my pitches with those two slides at the beginning. Or if you're not using slides, you know, just with that story format, mapping it out that way. Okay, thanks. Yeah, we can, we can talk further. I like that. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Reach out to me. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Jerry. Um, Thank you. Somebody else. I saw Marianne was uh, popped up. But, uh, hi. Hi. Yeah, this is Marianne in San Francisco. And, uh, hi. Hi there. And um, where are you based, Barbara? I'm down in Orange, Orange County. Okay. Hi there, Southerner, Southern California. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, as we, we, the last person was talking, I, I just thought of uh, something I'd put together on 10 tips for for a successful entrepreneurial entrepreneurial pitch. So I just happened to have them. I just pulled it up. Um, Explain your business within the first 30 seconds. Um, Secondly, paint a vivid picture of who your customers will be and why they'd give you their hard-earned money. Uh, Explain who your competitors are. Explain why you're the one to make it happen. Um, let's see. Ask for a very specific sound of, uh, amount of money and how you'll spend that specific amount of money. Uh, have an air of not really needing their money. And make each pitch a, a focus group for your next. Oh, very nice. Thank you. You're welcome. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's great. Thanks, Marianne. You're welcome. You know, investors don't suffer fools gladly, so you've really got to cut to it. That's so true. Cut to the chase. Yeah, I've I, I just started watching maybe people, I don't know if anybody on the phone 
you know, they had a free week of Showtime recently on on the cable. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And that. and I got I, I got hooked on this show called Billions, which which is about oh, the hedge yeah. fund guys in New oh, York. Oh yeah, I watched that last year. Yeah. Well, there's a hilarious scene where the kind of transgender type lady with the very brief, you know, the the shaven head goes to Silicon Valley to listen to pictures. And I mean, she's like a calculating machine and she listens to like 30 seconds of one guy's pitch and he's got like an app that'll direct you to the best restaurant or some one of these kind of, you know, apps that you wonder how they can make money. And she just stands (laughs) up and walks out right away. (laughs) Uh That's awesome. I was kind of amused to think the challenges that some audiences face. And, yeah, those are very – and they listen to hundreds of pitches a, a month, I'm sure. Right, and they and shut you do. down They shut you down quickly if it's not anything they think they can use. Yeah. Well, most of them, they don't understand it, to be quite frank with you. They don't understand what the heck people are talking about because it's taken them too long to get to the point. And the place the investors go and attack the most are the numbers because that's what they know. Mm-hmm. So that's where they mm-hmm. get you, on the numbers and on the market. And uh, and if you're not realistic about did you do your due diligence and in, in really, you know, digging down deep to understand your market, mm-hmm, definitely they'll, they will get you for that. Right. By the by the way, this is a raw. Uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of the Billions show, and uh, yeah, I love the show. And uh, it's uh, as far as the pitches are concerned, I think uh, probably all all of you over there in Silicon Valley. Uh, the Silicon Valley show on the HBO is another one really kind of interesting, even though it's kind of a little bit comic. But uh, being in the tech industry myself, I kind of see that so many it's, – it's close to real as far as uh, all the things that happen at the tech crunch and uh, all the big-time uh, conferences, what happens, and uh, how people give a pitch and everything. Uh, Billions and uh, Silicon Valley are two of my favorite shows. Ditto. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Good to know, Raoul. Um, and I think it's amusing because when I've been to speechwriters conferences, like everybody talks about the West Wing and how you know. Oh yes. And and those those are very much not like the life of Silicon Valley presenters <laughs> and speechwriters. So no, they're they're their fantasy of what we wish would happen. Yeah, and it's around you know the world of the the White House and and obviously. Uh, all the changes, and there was lots of, I mean, Ted Sorensen's book, Counselor, and other great speeches, uh, books often focus on political speeches, uh, maybe very rightly, um, but there are other areas, and Silicon Valley Speechwriters Roundtable, we, we obviously uh, celebrate the others. So it's great, we've still got a good 25 minutes, if there are other people who haven't spoken yet who'd, who'd like to chime in contribute or ask questions of Barbara? Uh, yeah, this is Nicole Lone Brown. I'd, I'd like to ask a question. Hi, Nicole. Oh, go ahead. Hi there. Um, I'm based in San Francisco, and you guys talked a, a lot of, about um, how to transfer from being a writer to a speaker coach. I'm actually in the opposite boat, where I'm a, first and foremost a speaker coach, and I've been a content consultant, kind of editing and making suggestions on existing speeches and presentations, and I'm just now getting more into the content creation. Uh, you mentioned that book, um, Save the Cat, which is definitely something I'll check out. But I was wondering if you, Barbara, or even anyone else on the line, has some additional resources that they found helpful when they were starting out as, as speech writers that I could turn to. 
Well, I can mention one book. This is Mary Ann, speechwriter in San Francisco, presentations coach. Um, have you read The Leader's Guide to Storytelling? No, it's on my list. So thank you for – that's a double recommendation then from other folks. Thank you. Yeah, Stephen Denning, D-E-N-N-I-N-G. Wonderful tips in there. Okay, thanks. And, and this is Ian. I'd add – I mean, it's, it's kind of funny because I just mentioned uh, West Wing and so on in the – and sort of say, well, it was a different world. But the single best book, I think, on speech writing in general is by Robert Lehman, Bob Lehman, L-E-H-R-M-A-N, The Political Speechwriter's Companion. And even though it, it's titled The Political Speechwriter's, I think it's very appropriate for any speechwriter. And it's very well put together. He teaches a course in speechwriting in D.C. at the American University, and he's a regular speaker at these conferences. And he has checklists for speechwriters at the end of every chapter as well as, you know, kind of deconstructing how you begin at the beginning to write a speech. Wonderful. And, and Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, also too. This is a Rob uh -huh. again. I, I just want to make a comment. Uh, you know, I, I'm an advisor and mentor for a lot of Silicon Valley startups, uh, specifically targeted to the financial services and insurance industry. One mm -hmm. thing I notice is a lot of them, a lot of the tech startup entrepreneurs looking for help in terms of uh, uh, how to write a blog. So ah. I know it's kind of different from speech, but uh, there is a lot of uh, room for, uh, I mean, business opportunity for uh, any of you out there with the speech writers who want to help the, the tech uh, startups and executives to be uh, able to do the blog. Because uh, the, these people are good in their craft from a technology point of view, but just like uh, needing help on uh, speaking and uh, speech writing, uh, quite a few of them are looking for help in blogs because that's a new way of promoting their products or uh, getting visibility and exposure and things like that. So that's, that's a new thing that everybody's looking. So just kind of want to kind of share my thoughts on the need for help for blogging for some of these executives is, uh, is out there. Yeah, that's yeah, great, that's Val. Like, um, like I, I'm amused to hear you say it's the new way. I've been blogging for 15 years, but yeah, maybe for some people it's new. Uh, <laughs> no, I, it, it is. I, I, <laughs> sorry about the new, when I say the new way means, yes, it's been there, but uh, I think more broadly I should say more like a social media promotion, so to speak, whether it's blogging, or uh, Twitter, or all these kind of things. Right. Uh, they're, they're good, but uh, you still want the message to be really uh, storytelling and all. And uh, that's what it is. And, and one more thing uh, I want to add, the one thing I learned from Barbara. Barbara is uh, just like the hero's journey. She always emphasized on enjoying the journey. I mean, that's something as an executive I shared with my team. A lot of times it is stressful when they're working on really extremely uncertain projects and things like that. So at least uh, if you kind of give the message that uh, just simply enjoy the journey, so at the end of the day, independent of the result, you just have a good feeling that you made some friends, you learned a lot of things, and just kind of actually this today's startup world, it's a lot more important to enjoy the journey and not get uh, too stressed out kind of thing. So that's just kind of one thing I want to share. Oh, that's beautiful, Ralph. Thank you. You know what? And it's really, 
that's what I try to base my speech writing on. Because one thing I've learned, if I've learned anything from speech writing, and I've learned a lot, it's, it's taught me so much about life, um, is that when I enjoy the process and I put the love in the speech, the audience feels that too. Because, you know, frankly, they don't remember the words after a while. The words are just a roadmap to our heart and to what we really feel. And so if we could tap into that, boy, that's when things happen. That's when, you know, you have a call to action at the end, people actually follow through because they felt something. Yeah, Ralph, I, I like that. Uh, as a, I mean, I, I think in a way, you know, we're all very lucky, whether you're speech coaching or, or speaking yourself. Or, I mean, it's a huge adrenaline. I mean, I know there are quite a significant percentage of the population that is, who are afraid of speaking in public, and I've worked with executives who have to overcome that basic uh, nervousness, and Toastmasters is a great way, but it's a huge adrenaline rush, and, and what better, I mean, it's a, it's a great industry, or uh, it's a great skill, because you, you, you can touch many different areas of expertise, helping people communicate. As Barbara said, you know, she's worked with such a wide variety of speakers, from pharmacists to, you know, entrepreneurs, and, and, and it's a huge range. There's no limit to and when you add in social media and blogging. So this is all very dynamic. That's great. More comments? Anybody uh, like to chime in? No? Oh, well, maybe. Uh, it's uh, a late lunch for me on the West Coast. I'm sure of those Jerry's already thinking of his evening meal. <laughs> um, <laughs> any, so, Barbara, I mean, this has been wonderful. I, I think uh, you've got a, a very interesting background and that brings a perspective to your coaching and it's great to know that you're uh, you know it's profitable I mean I think one of the challenges I faced myself when you if you're not working in the corporate world is freelancing which is what you've done for so long so successfully is a challenge but having that dynamic approach where you, you volunteer like you did to help with TED Talks to help with pitches it can lead to, you know, untold riches in a way because you get the reputation. You, if obviously, the, the table stakes is you've got to be good at what you do, and I think uh, there's many, many ways to improve. We can always keep improving, always keep learning. So thanks a lot so much for being on the call today. Is there anything you'd like to leave us with as a, as a sort of sign-off? Well, there is, actually. There's one thing, and it's a question to you, Ian. Yep. You ready? <laughs> yes. Go ahead. The question is this: When do when do I get to interview you? Because <laughs> you're a wealth of information. Well, I guess we could schedule a speechwriting uh, roundtable call for. I've got. Uh, let's see. I've got uh, Matt Kyvel who won the Cicero Award this year, and I've got Bob Sands scheduled for June. I'm hoping June and July. July and August, but but maybe yeah in the fall, uh, September right. October. Uh, yeah, well you can be the host and I'll be. You can interview me. <laughs> I would love that. You've been so oh, kind to put on these um, these gatherings that I was like, oh, well, what, what about Ian? I think he has a lot to tell. And if you okay. haven't read his blog, read Ian's blog. It's awesome. So. Yeah, that's been uh, – uh, it just built, you know, over a 1,000 articles now. And, and Oh, and that's actually something I, I, I have a note. I might as well announce it to the whole group. Marianne announced that she has – she read her 10 tips to successful entrepreneurial pitches. And, and Barbara, you probably you – say you're working on a book proposal. And anybody else on the phone call, 
I would love to have, if you've got a blog length, you know, not like a whole book and not just one or two sentences, if you've got an, uh, something to share, especially like 10 tips on successful entrepreneurial pitches, if you want to, no obligation, I could host it on my blog as a guest posting. And I don't know about anybody else who's got a blog, but whenever I put up something titled guest posting, it, it gets more traffic through Google than I see uh, from regular postings. And I've done quite a number. I always give attribution and links to people's um, uh, you know, own content, uh, own contact information. So you know, I, I would encourage anybody on the phone call listening to the recording, uh, you know, get a hold of me. And, and I'd be happy to share, you know, my platform of my professionally speaking blog for guest postings. Excellent. Thank you. That's awesome. Uh, okay. One last thing before we go. I forgot. Nicole, or is Nicole still on the line? or She might be gone. Yeah, I'm here. Sorry. I, I was on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's okay. That's okay. Um, you know, take a look at the professional speechwriters uh I think it's uh, Vital Speeches of the Day, v- VTS. B-S-T-O-D uh, dot com and they have a lot of speeches there for you to read too so Great. those are the Cicero award winners they go back I think you know at least five years or more so there you can see a lot of examples there's the, the overall winner and then there are category winners so that and I would just echo what Barbara said I mean I read those in graduate school so it's really a, a premium source for speechwriters. And it's Vital yeah, it's, Speeches of the Day? Vital Speeches of the Correct. Day. Okay. Yeah, it's run by a guy called David Murray who, who publishes. It's, a, it's been published since the 1930s, obviously back then as printed, and now it's online. Uh, Vital Speeches of the Day is at least monthly, maybe week, weekly uh, document, but they have this Cicero Award for speechwriters and they're about 25 each year. Barbara's won different categories twice. And uh, David Murray also hosts a Professional Speechwriters Association, PSA. Uh, it's all on the same website if you go to vsotd.com. And um, he hosts that conference in the East Coast uh, each year. But this year, I'll be sending out a note to the group uh, Next week, he, you can actually sign up for like the virtual. I mean, it's not free because it's a, you know, you have to cover his costs, but you can listen to all the presentations from your home instead of having to travel out there and stay in a hotel. But it is a great way to, um, to mix and mingle with other speech writers. Uh, like Nicole was asking, if you do have the funds and the time, there's nothing better than going to one of these conferences and, you know, you can learn as much in an afternoon in the bar or over coffee as you could reading a dozen books. Um, totally so agree. With I that, went two years ago. It was awesome. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's a it's a kick. You know, you were in a room with twenty to thirty, and the, and the Reagan Communications R A G A N hosts a speechwriters conference every year in the early spring in February in Washington D C as well. And you know, I've gone there. I've met White House speechwriters. You know, it's like you're living in the West Wing for a couple of days almost. Anyway, with that, um, I'd like to thank everybody who's been online. Um, there will be a recording posted on uh, the website in the next week or so. So stay tuned, and we'll have another call, if not in June, then definitely July, that will be announced. So everybody have a great uh, rest of Thursday, and thanks for, thanks for calling in. Thank you.